something as a CTO in larger organization I've always missed in being in startup is that if you're in a larger organization, maybe you're managing a pool of 200 developers. Within those 200 developers, you always have the rock stars and you can take those guys and parachute them into a project to already resolve issues quickly. If you're in a startup, you can't do that. If you go to consultant, it's going to cost you a lot of money. I'm David Savage and this is Tech Talks. It's your twice-weekly tech podcast talking to leaders from across the industry as well as sharing some industry news. So if you're interested in technology, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Tech Talks. Um, we have another debutant. Akish, welcome. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Looking forward to the weekend? I am looking forward to the weekend. Hopefully no storms. We've survived two in the last two weeks. I really, really hope there are no storms given I'm running along a beach in Northumberland. Yeah, hopefully not. So uh, Kiara's gone. Dennis is gone. So What would be next? It would be E, wouldn't it? And it would be a female name. Uh, Is that how they do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the alphabet. It's male, female, male, female. Eva, I reckon. Probably the next one. Eva. Evie, Storm Evie. I don't think Evie would appreciate you saying that. Storm Edith. Because Dennis is a bit old person, isn't it? Dennis the Menace, that's all I could That's what about. I thought as well, yeah. Um, Evil Evangeline. That's Evie's name. Yeah, I know, well, you know, you went off down that track. I did. Uh, okay, so we don't want any storms. Um, what are you up to, Ali? Um, Evangeline is taking me for tea, afternoon tea. Oh, um, how cute. For my birthday. Yeah. Have you ever had proper afternoon no, tea? No. Cucumber sandwiches fun. and all that. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Vanilla slice. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. But she said that we're going to be drunk after it. So, so is, oh. it, is it tea followed by bottles of Prosecco? Well, I think that the Prosecco is in a teacup. Like, I don't know. Is it, is it like <laughs> one of those Mad Hatter's tea parties? I don't know. That's They're what she good. told me. Where is it? Um, I don't know. She said I should meet her at my phone stage. She said I need to meet her somewhere at 12 o'clock. Where's the somewhere? I, I genuinely don't know. And I don't wow. know where to put my phone. Fair enough. Oh. This, was, this was enlightening. I know, yeah. It's very cool. Excited. Okay. Well, afternoon tea is lovely. Um... Important question then for listeners, afternoon tea related. If you're having a scone, is it clotted cream and jam or jam followed by clotted cream? Well, firstly, it's a scone. No, it's a scone. It's not a scone, it's a scone. Fine. Just, you know, and I'm sure people might disagree with that. Anyway. uh, I'm I'm going jam and clotted cream. Jam and clotted cream. Yeah. But I, I play cricket. That so makes more sense, though. I normally go for jam and clotted cream. That makes more yeah. sense because you yeah. spread the jam and you can. Yeah, I put, yeah. I put jam and clotted cream. Yeah, jam and clotted cream. And also, yeah. there's there's not many things that are better than playing cricket in the summer and then having your tea with the scone. Oh yeah, beautiful. I don't know. Uh, one of the best things about cricket is getting really dehydrated and then drinking a lot of beer because it's a really cheap night. And that as well. <laughs> yeah. And that as well. You've got to hydrate. <laughs> you don't know. You just come straight off the pitch and have a drink of beer between you. Yes. Yeah. Like, well, that's gone to my head. Anyway, right. Uh, we, I, well, there's a nice little link to that because we're talking to Richard, who is French and he loves wine. Wine and beer, that works. It's basically the same thing. Exactly. Uh, so we'll hand over to the interview with Richard. He's the CEO of Lyrics. And then myself, Evie and Akish will be back with some thoughts. You just called me Evie! Oh yeah, shit. Sorry. Myself, <laughs> Ali <Yeah>! and Akish. <laughs> it's all that talk about storms. We'll be back afterwards. So on today's uh, podcast, we are talking to Richard. You are the chief exec, rather. I was going to say the CTO, but that's your former role. Correct. So you're the chief exec of Lerex Technology. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for coming in and talking to us today. No problem. Uh, very quickly, Lerex are 
they're a startup, and they're not, they're not a big startup yet. So I'd imagine there will be some people who are, who are wondering who you are. Probably so, most people, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you never know. Um, but it would be good to find out from you exactly what the company does and, and what you're trying to provide to the market. Sure. So I usually describe it as an entry-level banking solution platform. So we provide technology and operation to run banking-like programs, uh, agency banking, IBAN, account numbers, um, and we do a lot in the prepaid card space. So we are able to deliver physical cards or help our customers deliver physical cards to, to their end users. So it's a lot to do with payment and, and banking, basically. Now, you're based in Leatherhead, right? We are, yes, just outside London, um, which is where I happen to live. <laughs> Handy. But you are obviously not from, Le- well, I don't think you're from Leatherhead, unless I, I, I've you know, not been there a little while and they've, dis- they've kind of discovered a distinct accent that sounds like it's French. <clears throat> no, yes, I've been here for 15 years now uh, in the UK, but uh, the accent stayed very uh, pronounced. <laughs> um, yes, I'm originally from the Champagne area in France. Um, like I said, I've been in the UK for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, no intention to, to leave anytime soon. Um, yeah, really enjoying it. Now, I, I suppose the immediate question that pops into my head on that front is, where are Lerix's customers based? Because you might be based in the UK, but the services that you're providing, whilst, it is heavily, whilst finance is heavily regulated, I'm assuming, are not limited to the UK. Correct. So we would... We can issue cards or help our customer issue card anywhere in the EEA. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> customer would come from from the UK because it's kind of easy to, to find and speak to them. But we get some coming from the Nordics or, or more Eastern Eastern Europe. So mm-hmm. um, we could service customer outside of, of Europe, but the the end user or the user using the product on the card needs to be based in the EEA. So that's where the market primarily is. I suppose the interesting kind of question around that is where your where your market growth is likely to be because prepaid cards, and before we hit record, I, I was kind of trying to get my head around exactly what it is that you provide. And I said, oh, so your customers would be a Monzo or a Starling Bank. And he said, well, they probably have this technology themselves, but there are lots of other customers that don't. Fintech in particular in London is obviously quite a mature market. You've got N26 in Germany, uh, but I don't know what kind of competition there is outside of N26. And then if you look to the States, and I know you've just said that your customers are European, but if you look to the States, actually Fintech is is reasonably uh, nascent. So within Europe, there must be certain countries where actually they're going, Fintech's a huge boom area for us there are still only really legacy banks as competition and we'd like to get into this space with the technology you're providing yeah absolutely so obviously everyone knows um, the Monzo and the Revolut and N26 and, and all the others I think there are a couple of angles I mean the not not everyone knows those products funnily mm-hmm. enough and so there's still a decent part of the market that you know is to be that people can grab, trying to be a competitor of, of a Monzo and a Revolut. If you look at the private banking space and high net worth individual, that, that revolution hasn't really happened yet. Um, other countries in Europe and even outside of Europe, <clears throat> again, that, that financial revolution and what we take for granted here in the UK isn't necessarily available. But prepaid card and banking is much more than that. I mean, you have the whole loan industry, you have the whole travel money industry. So there is a number of use cases for, for our product um, to be used. 
um, <clears throat> some of the prospects I'm speaking to at the moment, one of them is travel money card, one of them is small business loan, we get corporate expense card, uh, and a little bit of the cryptocurrency cards as well. So there's loads of things and loads of products you can imagine around around that banking and card yeah. and card solution. And from a from a tech stack point of view, or certainly from a language point of view, what tend to be the languages that lend themselves to building these kind of services? <clears throat> that varies. I don't think I don't think you can pick one language. I think the one language is very often defined by the main tech person and what they're comfortable with. The reality is, I mean, it's it's <clears throat> those banking systems are. Uh, I'm coming from a trading world myself, and they're very close to to trading systems. They need to be high throughput, low latency to some extent, really really scalable, really robust, resilient, and, and secure. But you can deliver that in a lot of different things. I know. I know some of the people in the space using Python and PHP, some would use Java, we are more of a Microsoft shop, so we use C Sharp and .NET Core and things mm -hmm. like that. But I think you'll find, you'll be able to find a lot of various technology to, to be able to do that. I was kind of hoping you'd say that, because that variance is what makes the industry both wonderful and complex, but at the same time quite fragmented and at times perhaps uh, throw up some challenges. Certainly. Uh, I've, I've dealt with kind of um, retail startups who've who've had a CTO who comes in who's tied to a particular language and maybe it's quite a new language or quite a niche language but they think it's brilliant and then they go and build the kind of the, the fundamentals in that particular language and then they need to recruit a team but there's hardly anyone out there who can code in that language and that must create some problems around the quality of that code. I suppose the temptation would be well if we code in a, in a particular language that is a little bit more mature in the market, then you're going to get better quality code, right? Or is that is that a wrong assumption to make? So you're absolutely right. I've seen that as well, and I think I think being hang on the language is the wrong thing to do from my point of view. So I'll give you an example. I'm I'm coming from a C and Java background. I love open source. When I joined Lyrex, the platform was already there. Was already Microsoft. I could have rewrote everything into no person's language. I think. As a CTO, especially, you need to you need to link that to the business. You know, what's the overall business benefits? Because the rate is Java, C sharp, Python, PHP. If it's written properly, they should be able to deliver similar yeah. value. Um, so yeah, I think looking at language that way is is. Is, is not in favor of the business. I think you exactly what you say, you need to look at what you're trying to achieve. If you want to change it, why? Uh, recruiting is is going to be a problem sometimes. Sometimes you're going to have performance implication. Back in the days, you would also look at what language or technology your provider are, are, are using to be able to align. Now with RESTful API and stuff like that, it's a bit less important. But there are going to be business rational for moving into a different language, but it's becoming less and less apparent. That being said as well, with <clears throat> component and services and microservices, you're now much more able to have a full range of languages. Mm. Uh, so you have companies that are going to have some component in Java, some component in PHP, some component in C Sharp, which is fine. But there again, it's rare to find developers that are good in all those languages. So how do you manage that? You need to be a fairly big organization. Too. So that's an interesting point because you say there it's rare to find developers who are good in all of those in all of those languages. You are competing in a space where there are some huge names, and it's already a market 
that it's difficult to find good developers. So how do you keep that quality up when actually keeping hold of good good developers, good people is quite difficult? So there's a number of things you can do. Um, and yeah, that's, that's one of my <clears throat> pet topic as well. Uh, so I've been recently with one of the, the top five consulting firm and they, uh, I mean, you can probably name them. I, I was recently with Deloitte Ventures, so trying to attract people to work on startup exciting project within Deloitte uh, where money wasn't necessarily a problem. So I looked at it as being the perfect environment to attract people and actually they had very similar problem than anywhere else to find good people in London. So I think if you're in London, if you're trying to attract people, you're always going to have a problem. Whether you're big, small, you are going to have different problems, but it's always going to be a problem. So it goes through offshoring and, and outsourcing. It goes through allowing people to work from home. It goes through uh, upskilling the people that, that you have. If, if you think that you, know, you can't find the right people, you can, you can retrain some of them. Uh, not every part of your software and infrastructure is going to require the same level of effectiveness or quality. So again, do you really need, you know, top developer everywhere. So there's a number of things you can do to help. For startups, unfortunately for me, a lot of it has been through outsourcing because it's extremely difficult. To I was going to say, is, is, is outsourcing more cost-effective than necessarily, maybe th than having a homeworking team and then going, you know what, instead of worrying about everyone being in the UK or being in London, we could have someone in the Nordics, we could have someone in Southern Europe, we could have someone in Eastern Europe and the team will be virtual. I suppose you've got that choice or is it actually a blended approach where you've got a bit of that and a bit of outsourcing at the same time? So, again, depends if, it kind of depends if you're a large organization or a smaller one. If you're a large organization, you probably have a strategy around it and you probably have made a choice on what you want to achieve. If you're a small organization, I think it's more opportunistic and, oh, I found a great guy. He's based in, I don't know, Lisbon and he's not going to move, but you know it's, it's really really good. So maybe, but I think you can you can yes you can do a bit of that. So um, is outsourcing cost effective? I've never thought about it as as a cost, and people always change the cost. I think from a cost point of view, that's not where the value is. I think the value is getting access to a pool of talent that you wouldn't necessarily get access to. I think. Yeah. I recently, uh, you know, we were using Nashtech for a long time at, at Lerex. And one of the real benefit of that was also getting access to uh, experts. So something as a CTO in larger organization I've always missed in being in startup is that if you're in a larger organization and maybe you're managing a pool of 200 developers, if you have a problem on the project, within those 200 developers, you always have the rock stars and mm -hmm. you can take those guys and parachute them into a project to already resolve issues quickly. If you're in a startup, you can't do that. If you go to consultants, it's going to cost you a lot of money. But engaging with a larger outsourcing firm gives you that option as well. So for a lot for a lot of the time at Lerex, we had all of that. We had uh, an offshoring team. We had some people working exclusively from home. We had some people working from home and being in the office sometimes. We had some people full-time in the office who already had a, a mix of different things. And I think it becomes, how do you make those people collaborate as a team mm. and, and, and being efficient as a team? Uh, 
rather than exactly where, where they are. Out of interest, is, is there a tipping point where that becomes unmanageable? Where you have to kind of go, this is the path that we're going to go down now. We can't have this model where we've got some people in the office, some people working from home, outsourcing. It's a good question. I've never, I've never had the problem where I thought it was unmanageable. I don't see. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be challenged on that one, but I don't think it would become unmanageable if your if your approach is that people can work from pretty much wherever. Then it doesn't really matter where they are. They're they're potentially not in the office. Mm. So. No, I think as you have the as long as you have the right framework around it, the, the right etiquette and the, the right collaboration tool, I think potentially it doesn't it doesn't really matter. I mean, I had circumstances where part of the offshoring team, some of the people were actually at home that day. No one saw a difference because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether they're. Um, so I don't think it becomes if you're committed to it. I don't think it's, it becomes unmanageable. Now, what you might the problem you might you might have as you grow is how do you manage that with the rest of the organization so if, if the company grows and suddenly you have more functions so you're going to have support operations sales compliance and those guys might not be able to be as flexible in terms of remote working mm-hmm. as tech is and then suddenly people look at tech and says well why are the tech guys never in the office why can't they so, so i think you have other I think it's more an organization problem. It becomes more an organization yeah. problem in explaining why. So look, if we go back to the tech, uh, just for the kind of the last bit of the chat, I'd be keen to know what, what other financial products you expect to see because you're talking about physical prepaid cards. In the UK, if you look at, at Revolut, we now have uh, virtual cards in the app, um, uh, which I happen to use, and it's, it's a really useful feature to be able to suddenly make a card exist out of nothing and then collapse it again if, you, if you're worried that it yep. might get... Um, get uh, a case of fraud against it perhaps um, so I'd be interested to know what financial products you think are quite interesting before we hit record you mentioned crypto cards and other bits and pieces what do you think might might really capture the imagination of consumers out there so I think there's definitely a lot of products evolving around virtual card mm-hmm. um, like you say temporary product whether it's, it's just for a loan whether it's for an insurance claim um, so that whole temporary card, I think, is not being exploited enough mm-hmm. and, 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 and might, might, might change things. Virtual versus physical is an, interesting, is an interesting debate, and I think it's down to preference. I prefer a physical card. When I go out in the evening, I have it in my back pocket. I have nothing else, just take it. I don't want to take my phone after all. Yeah. So I think people prefer one or the other. Um, now, crypto... The crypto space is interesting. I mean, crypto brings its own. I mean, so we could talk two hours about crypto and the money it brings your, its own challenges. Insurance. I mean, there was <coughs> there is a product which we are collaborating on at the moment, which is all to do with uh, instant. Well, it's basically instant claim payout into into the card. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going on holiday and, and, and something wrong happened and, and you can go there and there in an app and record your claim, get it approved pretty much in real time and get the money right away into a card. Um, you can do things like tracking uh, flight departure and, and for the customer whose flight is delayed, you can send them right notifications saying, oh, we've noticed your flight is delayed. You know, here is 200 quid to spend on your card. So there's a, there's a lot of things you can do to kind of become more fluid around mm-hmm. around the money, money side of things. Um, so 
Yes, there are a few things that, that excites me. Was where the market is going to go and what's going to pick up, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I think there is loads of new product coming up, and that's what that's what really interests me in what we are doing. That plus the fact that again in the UK we're slightly probably slightly ahead of other other countries, and therefore when those things will really pick up, you know, in in in, in the rest of Europe or, or in the US and Asia, it's going to also create an interesting mix. I think there is loads of interesting an exciting time I think it is an exciting time in payment yeah absolutely a few things are changing and, and yeah we'll see well look it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you for coming in and recording the podcast with us and fingers crossed the year continues to go well for you thank you thanks okay um, you guys do you have Monzo or Revolut or Monzo. Starling I have Monzo I don't use it I have the Mundo card because everyone was like, oh, I'll get a Mundo card. So I got one. What, so you got it. one just for sure? Yeah, I just used my Barclays card. I'm really old school like that. Yeah, I'm similar, I think. I got yeah. a Mundo because it looked cool in the wallet, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you just like at a restaurant and you've got the, the orange card. Before people, <laughs> coral? Coral, sorry, yeah. And people are like, oh, what's what's that? And they're like, oh, it's a Mundo. Do you not know about it? Um, but then I'll be honest, it, I don't use it Why not? as much. Bank yeah, I'm lazy. I think it's just so much effort to have three thousand different cards. It's really not. Why are you so confused? Well, it's not that much effort. I think it is because now you, then you transfer your money into there and then yeah. you budget it into specific pieces. But I can do that in my normal bank account, so I do. I just prefer the user interface. I think on the virtual banks. Oh, do you think it just looks more exciting? I just think it's simpler and more straightforward and mm. it takes more effort to log into Barclays. No, it doesn't. I do this. Yeah, um, I've got the face ID thing, which is... I've got fingerprint scanning yeah. on both of them, but I don't know, it just feels... Well, it takes more effort to set it up. I don't know. I think you just don't like the old school way of doing things. No, that's not true. I just... It is a simpler UI on Monzo and so on. Mm. Anyway, I did I did listen to the interview and wonder whether or not this was just a case of me being a blinkered metropolitan elite. Because I just assume that everyone kind of uses these products now. And he makes the fair point that maybe there's actually a large part of the market that isn't familiar with a lot of these products. And I don't know, maybe if you're in Burnley or Oldham, that's the case. And not, not against Burnley or Oldham, but maybe they just still use Halifax and Barclays. And if yeah. someone was to go, do you use Monzo? Mm. They'd be like, what the hell are you on about? Yeah. Mm. And that it's a very kind of blinkered, southeastern, we're in London type thing. Mm. Oh, I don't know. I do. I think. I think that. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think there's a lot of people that still use the old school way of doing things. I think just because we live in this city, everything's so tech savvy. But everyone around you, yes. But remember, London's a bubble. London is one big bubble. And if you leave London, not everyone is using. Have you been to the villages? Like, what do you mean? Outside of London, I'm from the northeast yeah, of England. Know, <laughs> I'm from a coal mining community, Alex. <laughs> I know, but the people. I know, but I'm saying. Well, then you should know. The villagers. Like your, 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 your family and stuff. They don't use Revolut and Monzo. No, it's my mum and dad. Exactly. People still got to sell. No, they're, to those they're guys. fairly old. Bless them. You know. Oh. Yeah, but then there's, there's still as soon as you go outside of London, there's still places that don't accept cards. Well, like, I know I've been to places yeah. recently. And you kind of take your car down, they're like, no, sorry. And it's the old, like, walk 100 yards to the nearest cash point. Mm. Go get cash out. Not the Slaley Village shop. Yeah. Which my mum and dad are on. <laughs> Is that really? um, Okay, so high net worth individuals, no real revolution there. That is kind of surprising to me because you would have thought that 
actually a lot of the challenger financial products would have gone, well, there's something that's ripe for picking because they've got a bit of money and they're going to like something that's a bit funky and a bit interesting. Mm. Travel money. Oh, I like the travel thing. I the, the the way he said. Do you remember when he started talking about at the end of the interview when he was telling us about the new products that could come out? Mm-hmm. When he was talking about travel insurance and they could have like a card that they pay the money directly into. You have a card. Is that is what he was talking about mm-hmm. there? You have a card. They pay the insurance directly into it in case something goes wrong. That there's we don't have anything like that. That would be really cool. I would use that. So I'm just intrigued because like oh you're what twenty three? Yes. Okay, shall no, we? Ah, I'm 24. 24, sorry. Oh, yeah, you just had your birthday. Yes. Uh, 28. Right, so you're squaring the demographic for Challenger Banks. What yep. products would tempt you if you've not been tempted other than having something that looks cool in your wallet? Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're all about the show, aren't we? I'm, I'm all about the aesthetics, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, a card just has to be like multicolored and flashy. <laughs> basically, yeah. As, as long as I go to a bar and someone's like, oh, nice card. What's, what's but that? you won't actually use it, so that's no good to the challenge. No, but do you know what it was? It, it, I, I think that comes from me working in retail when I was at university. Yeah. So I used to get very fascinated like with people, especially like, I don't know, you don't really hear it much these days because everyone takes Amex, but you know when someone used to come in and go, oh, do you take Amex? And I was like, whoa, Amex, what's that? Like, <laughs> I was like a 17-year-old guy selling you know, laptops at PC World. And then I was like, Amex, oh, what's that? And then they pull out this steel card and you know, all kinds of weird and wonderful transparent cards and, and the cards from like Europe and stuff. So yeah. I think it comes from there, yeah. So. But, but what product then would tempt you to actually use it? Uh, to use it? Yeah. Well, Monzo tempted me, so I've got that. No, well, you've got it, but you don't use it. Yeah. What she um, said? Well, I think personally I, that that travel thing is something, yeah. that's something I would use. Travel's good. The insurance thing for me is a big, yeah, a big plus. That pay out of, um, yeah, those insurance pay. I think that would be perfect. I use a Centrip card when I go away, what is which that? is um, so they're like a foreign exchange, oh, live foreign yeah. exchange rates. Right. Okay. So you load it up here in the UK. Yeah. Don't with really X use amount. Much money, yeah. Yeah. So X amount of pounds. Take the card. It's like a prepaid card, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then you get live foreign exchange rates, so wherever you go. To be fair, that's one of the reasons I use my Revolut, Revolut yeah. is that I change the currency. So when I went to Iceland, I changed it into yeah. Iceland yeah. in the app yeah. and then used the card exactly. with local currency yeah. so you don't get charged. Yeah, so, so Centrip's the exact same thing. When you use your normal bank card, right? When you use your normal bank card to pay overseas, is that bad? Does it just charge you more it's money? It's not bad, but I think every account and every bank has their own kind of rates and charges just on the point of um, keeping all the top talent in a difficult market I like his honesty around the fact there's always going to be problems with London of some kind and then he talks about you know maybe a flexible workforce maybe an offshore team maybe you have to look at training then he said you know as a startup you can't afford rock stars you can't afford consultancy so offshore is the practical solution but then you've got issues around making sure collaboration happens properly I thought that was refreshingly kind of there you go. That that is the reality of the situation for most startups, and it's true. Yeah, it's very honest of him. Yeah, I thought which is good, and we've seen this happen a load of times with a lot of big companies, right? Like they go through an offshoring phase, six six seven years of offshoring, a lot of their development, you know, throw it out into other places of the world, and then realise, oh, maybe the brand image that we want to kind of put out to the market isn't really what we need. So then they yeah. end up bringing everything back in and whilst they have saved a bit of money or you know kind of use different avenues for technology they then realize that maybe they need some in-house people 
in London, for example, or wherever in the UK. So. But I think, I think that there needs to be an honesty around that it is hard to bring in real rock stars who get paid a lot of money if you're a startup that don't have a brand. Like a lot of them go, oh, equity, or we've got this, or we've got mm. that. And it's like, well, no, it's still hard. And actually, offshore is, is, a, is the viable solution for a lot. Well, I don't know, because when you asked him, you said, would you, would you say that outsourcing is more cost effective? Mm. To it? And he said, well, that's not really what he's thinking about. He just wants the people to be able to do the job. Yeah. So I think a lot of these startups do have money to throw at them because they have so much backing. Like a Bo, for example. Okay. We know Bo. We know Bo? I know of Bo. Yeah. So Bo's really backed by... Um, RBS? Is it RBS? I think it's RBS. Take that back if it's not. And um, Bo's really backed by them. And they were willing to pay top, top money to get people in. Um, and I think startups have a lot of backing because they have a lot of, um, what's that word called? Capital? Yeah. A lot yeah. of investment not going all into do, them. Right? Well, not all of them. But I think, especially in this space, when you're speaking about fintech. Finance. Fintech. Yeah, okay. And I think that's why when you asked him, so is outsourcing more cost effective? He said, well, that I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's a fair point. But I think the rock stars start to come in the second, third, fourth rounds of funding, I think. Well, that's my, my personal belief because okay. they read about a company, they're like, oh, right, these guys are doing pretty well. Then they start reading about them in, you know, the local kind of city newspapers. They're like, oh, okay, cool, we'll keep them on the radar. And then suddenly, boom, there's something in the FT or there's something on BBC. And then they think, oh, right. And then when those people come calling for them, they think, oh, okay, you're, in your, th- yeah, you're yeah. in your third, fourth round of funding. Mm. I'm in an ivory tower in Canary Wharf. Maybe, you know, I can use my skills somewhere else. And then we've seen it happen so many times. You know, they just kind of move over and, yeah, follow their passion, I guess, to a certain extent. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if you've found this, um, Akish, but when you... When you're speaking to people in the bigger corporations, a lot of them are wanting to move to startups because number one, it's more exciting and the culture's just better. In a big corporation, you do become almost a number. So mm. I think a lot of the people are wanting to move to startups. I personally, I, st- I started my career in a startup and I did love it. Not that I don't love Harvey Nash, but I started my career in a startup. Yeah, that disclaimer in there. You've got to be careful because uh, <laughs> the CEO listens. Shout so. <laughs> out to Beth again. <laughs> But that I, I think the environment's just that's it, it's not just about the money. Yeah. And we tend to forget that sometimes. So Yeah. Mm. I'd agree. I think we should say thank you to Richard for being our guest on this week's edition. Some interesting points there. And obviously, you know, always good to talk about fintech and the fintech capital of the world. <clears throat> and remaining so <clears throat> in these interesting times. Anyway, uh, we will go to a short advert break and we'll come back with some technology news. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, right, Akish, we've got an article. Uh, neither yourself nor Ali, not Evie, have seen this. Yep. <laughs> Flip me the bird. 
I am allowed to say that. It's what you just did. By the way, Richard Nay, French guest this week, and you have a baguette pen. I do. How incredibly on trend on you. Yeah, it's beautiful. You should get a photo of that, really. Uh, right, so personal details of 10.6 million MGM hotel guests have been revealed by hackers. Yo. Crazy. Yeah, I thought, you know, that might be a slight concern because isn't... Isn't Fury Deontay Wilde happening at the MGM? Yeah. This Saturday. Yeah. People yeah. might be a little bit worried about that. Um, so Justin Bieber and Jack Dorsey are among those who've been targeted by the hack. So for what what kind of details are we talking about? Are we talking credit card numbers? Are we talking Apparently mini bar tabs? Because I'd want to see Bieber's mini bar tab. I'm meeting. I, re- I reckon that would be I reckon that would be worth reading. So MGM confident no financial or password data breached mm. confident mm. I mean they're not going to come out and go well we don't really yeah. know but it, it's not them being like sure. categorical and also what I'm thinking is the amount of as a, as a guy the amount of stag do groups that have also gone there oh yeah you know, so if you're so oh. if you're someone that's gone on a stag do in the last Another few Ashley years, but yeah, I was yeah, just thinking, exactly. thinking it's like you know? the Ashley Madison thing, isn't it? Like oh dear, a lot of different feelings. If, 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 if you've come back and told your partners, yeah, yeah, you know, Vegas, it was, a one. It was just with the boys. We yeah. just hung out by the pool, had a few beers, you know. Wow, well, and then suddenly, boom, yeah. the details are out there. There's going to be a lot of girlfriends, wives, partners wives. that are going to be doing some uh, so let me, research. Uh, let, let, me read, let me read this article out. This, sorry, this paragraph out. The details published include full names, home addresses, phone numbers and emails, with tech news outlet ZDNet reported on Wednesday. Those targeted include high-profile figures such as Dorsey Bieber, as well as regular tourists, reporters and FBI agents. Oh, fuck, that's bad. <gasps> <laughs> I mean FBI. <laughs> like here's a list of here's a list of spies. Brilliant. There we are. Couldn't make it up. No. Sorry. Wow. Oh, stop worrying. <laughs> I mean, it's true though, isn't it? Like that is very bad. That yeah. is very bad. So what happens now then? If if they if an FBI agent's name is out in in the public, is that is that them done? That's, well, that's I don't know, because if TVs to be revealed, they always wear coats that say FBI on them anyway, right? No, yeah. but what if they're undercover FBI agents? Well, then they're probably... That might be their alias. Yeah, but they... Yeah. So they just switch oh, on to another yeah. alias. Yeah. There we go. Names. I've watched plenty of Homeland, so... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was watching Homeland last night. Were you? Oh, yeah, there was an article in the paper that said, uh, Homeland is the show that you stopped watching just before it got a mate. So I stopped watching it when Brody died at the end of season right. three. And I've watched it in years. Big mistake. Though. Yeah. Does it get better? Oh, yeah. Apparently it's now genius. So we watched the first two episodes of season four last yeah. night. It was great. I love it. Yeah. Anyway, um, so MGM, just let's not forget, this isn't just Vegas. They own luxury resorts in Vegas as well as across the States, Japan, China. Um, and of course, obviously, they frequently draw thousands of guests for casino tournaments, boxing matches and UFC, uh, UFC fights. Uh-oh. Yeah. I'd also love to see Conor McGregor's bar tab. Because he's no, uh, probably not because he's training. Oh no, no, no! But if you, if you once the fight's over, yeah, the once fight. the fight's over, <laughs> and he's got his own whiskey brand as well. So uh, he's Irish. And he, yeah, and he loves a drink. Ricky Hatton would have been. Great. Ricky Hatton would be great. Yeah. And also Floyd Mayweather as well. He's another. Really? He's another boxer as well. I think he's the richest sports star in the world. Yeah, Floyd. What do you mean, saying. really? Floyd Mayweather. He just always strikes me as being quite kind of pro- professional and a bit. Oh more. no! Whereas no, you know, no, no, no. no. He's, uh, I oh. think he's a real. 
Go I mean, his his he loves a party, and also his team is called the Money Team. Exactly. So so the like, Money Team. The Money Team. So. I, I picture him in a club, sitting in like a chair. But, by the way, the uh, <laughs> so th- this is interesting because apparently the the leak happened back in like June or July, and it's only just been revealed. So they've been sitting on it for a little while. Um, yeah, leak took leak took place in July. Customers notified in August. Not a good PR. No, team. not good. I mean, that is ter- terrifying for somewhere like the MGM. Like, is Justin Bieber going to go back and he's worried that people know where he lives and what's phone number is? Of course not. I wouldn't. And you're not Justin Bieber. No. And I've never been to the MGM. Well, so that's good. Good times for other hotels in Vegas. I don't know what the other ones are. Caesars Palace. Cosmopolitan, Wynn Hotel, yeah. Venetian. How Look many times you. have you been to Vegas? I've, uh, yeah, I've walked down the strip a few times. Uh, never stayed at the MGM though. But, yeah. good not good enough. Not good enough. No, yeah. no, no. Not that I would have any. Lost, to, lost uh... that customer. <laughs> Bye, Keish. Yeah. Right. Big loss. Akish, thanks for being our guest on today's show. Thank you for having me. Please come back. Uh, Ali, see, I do know your name. Thanks. Bye, guys. Have Bye. a lovely weekend. <laughs>